Hello everyone and welcome to A Command of Her Own. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week we're discussing the episode of Star Trek Discovery, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. And I guess before we get into it too much, we need to talk about some recent things happening in the news. If you are following it all, sorry, did you want to go into this? I just wanted to say that we're not going to discuss it because it's not no. a part of the episode or even the show, really. We just wanted to come out with a firm stance. Yes. We felt that to ignore it wouldn't be the right thing to do, mm-hmm. but it, the, we're also not here to discuss things behind the scenes. And for those who are maybe not listening to this at the same time as the news has come out, we are, of course, talking about the news story about Anthony Rapp and how he has come forward about uh, an incident of sexual assault that was perpetrated against him as a teen. And just wanted to say how courageous Anthony is to come forward about it and how he's handled it with integrity and courage and how we are so firmly on his side about this. And how certain other people are just a dickbag. Well, yes. Who are no longer fictional presidents. So, hey, I'd like reality to copy fantasy for a change. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Moving on, back to uh, Star Trek. Back to the episode. Initial thoughts. Jen, how did you feel about this episode? Well, I have to say... I was a little bit weary going into it because I am not a fan of the Mud episodes in the original series, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't a fan of the last Mud episode, Mm -hmm. and I watched the last Mud episode after having a really bad day at work. And so I was like, and then yesterday, I had another really bad day at work. So at the end of the day, I was like, wow, great. I feel like history is repeating itself. But I was so surprised. Yay. I actually really liked this episode. I am glad. If you hadn't, it, I I don't know, I wouldn't have agreed with you. Yeah. Which is quite the threat. <laughs> Although, I have to say, because I am somewhat also contradictory, I'm now also somewhat annoyed that I don't like the episode, because then it's like, oh, there's an episode with Mud, who's a character I generally dislike, that I don't, like, I don't hate the episode. And there's enough other good stuff in the episode where I'd want to go back and watch it again. Uh, Yeah. I mean, he wasn't actually in the episode that much. (laughs) Sure. Well, I'm trying, okay? I'm trying. Okay. Okay. Your your initial thoughts. Um, So, time loops are one of my favorite fictional doodads. Devices. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Um... (laughs) And I just, I really love any time that they are well done, and I thought that this one was extremely well done, and also, I really liked how it was, like, generally speaking, when they do a time loop, a time loop, it's always told from the perspective of the person outside of it, and so I thought this was a good original spin on it, because it was told from somebody else's perspective, like somebody trapped in the loop and having to be convinced every time that they were in a loop. Yeah, I'm time travel things are always kind of dodgy. Mm-hmm. Though, in my opinion, 
the Star Trek time loop ones specifically, because there's been a few episodes in, I think there's been at least two in the next generation, maybe, that deal with kind of a time loop. Um, or it may just be one and I'm misremembering the other. But anyways, in general, I think Star Trek has handled that aspect well. Mm-hmm. Time travel has been more hit and miss. Time travel is difficult to get right. It is. It is. You have to have like a good, like big picture understanding of different time travel scenarios, and you have to then build all of that into your episode, and it's difficult to do well. But yeah. Anyway, so generally we both liked it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. We will try not to make this just an entire gush fest, but, you know. I don't think it will be. I don't know. Okay. Did you like the uh, the Discovery crew having some, some downtime there? I did. I re- Actually, I really liked it. This has been the most realistic party that I've ever seen in Star Trek. Yeah. Like, there's been a few other party things, scenes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But this one had the best special effects available. They really just didn't try and make it like a futuristic party. They were able to do a lot with like the low lighting and, and still capture all the stuff that they wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a really good realistic party scene. So I really enjoyed that. I, that's what I thought too. It just felt like a real party. Yeah. Didn't, um, cause like, and it felt like real people drinking. Yes. You know, I have vague memories of people going to the bar in Next Gen and like getting yeah. a drink, but you never mm-hmm. really saw people drunk, I don't think. Also, the vibe of 10 Forward was much more of a like, low-key, low-light lounge kind mm-hmm. of feel. There was no loud music. Um, it was much more mellow. And also, like, on all the future Star Trek shows, I think Star Trek Next Generation and Forward, they've invented synthahol. So it's synthetic alcohol. Basically, that doesn't get you drunk. Well, then what does it... What? I... I... I've never really delved too much into it. Uh, now, in like Deep Space Nine and stuff, because on that space station bar that Quark runs, mm-hmm. he does import actual alcohol. But again, he's got a bar, so it's much more of like a like a casino mm-hmm. atmosphere there, and so it's not just like the dancing and low lights because it's you know in the middle of their promenade on the station and. I need to unpack this alcohol that doesn't get you drunk thing. What is the point? The delicious flavor? Right, sure, but you can drink delicious thing. I know. Yeah. I I'm know. not saying that I only drink to get drunk. I'm saying but like it- there there may be an article that unpacks it. It could just be that it gives you the the pleasant sensations without the impairment of judgment. But in my mind those two kind of like go hand in hand like you can't you know so I I don't know I've never really looked at it too much it's just just weird that it doesn't make sense anyway sorry carrying on Um, the one the one thing I will say against the party scene 
is that with spaceships, they often make parallels to, like, naval vessels. Mm-hmm. And this is where I don't think it's entirely realistic for there to be, you know, a, a party that's happening, even if it's in the crew quarters of a naval vessel while they're on a mission. So that was my one thing. It's, just, it's not like it's a shore leave thing. Where, yeah, the sailors do go out and party, but part of the reason they party so hard on shore leave is because when they're on the ship, you know, they're not allowed to just be cutting loose and drinking until they have impaired judgment because there's critical systems they could interact with that could have dire and serious consequences. Right. That's fair. So that was my one nitpick was like, oh, yeah, the chief of security's gonna go get drunk. Now, that seems like a good thing while he's wearing a phaser. Um, maybe not. <laughs> Though, I mean, Lorca doesn't seem to matter how people do things, just as long as what he wants to happen ends up think, happening. Do you think the party was a secret? Because, like, Lorca and Saru were not there. Well, but they were on duty. So, so at least that, that was, was realistic, because you can't have your entire bridge crew, you know, off getting drunk. Someone's yeah. got to run the ship. And that's probably why we didn't see many of these scenes in other Star Trek episodes, because you can't realistically have, like, your entire command crew potentially getting incapacitated. So. Well, if their alcohol doesn't get them drunk, it doesn't really matter. Well, that's true. But yeah, the other Star Treks definitely had much more, like, low-key downtime that they did. This one was uh, much more refreshing sort of realistic party atmosphere that I enjoyed. The uh, I was just going to say I enjoyed ahead. it too. Sorry, carry on. Okay. Uh, the other kind of related thing to this that I've enjoyed so far on Discovery is the fact that they actually work out on the ship. Mm-hmm. That the people are regularly like running down the corridors mm-hmm. because that's something that realistically it would happen on a ship like that. So I've really enjoyed that part of it. It's not just that all these people are, like, thin and pretty and perfectly muscled, and you never see them actually having to work for it. Yeah, I think that speaks to, like, them just making it feel like a lived-on ship and not a perfect, pristine, right-out-of-the-shop thing that I think a lot of the other ships have felt like. You know, it the exercise mm-hmm. and, and a bunch of other things that they've done just feel like people live here, not this is a TV set. Right, yeah. Agree. Okay, so we both like the drunken partying. I mean, who doesn't? Oh, it was pretty good. I wasn't 100%, like, I was of two minds about Tilly's portrayal. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I know she's a cadet. But I almost thought they might have been erring on the side of her being too silly and too, I don't know college girl-ish. I don't know. It didn't feel out of character. That's true. And and like you said, Michael and, and Ash may have been uh, like specifically not getting that drunk because they may have had to get called away, while Tilly mm-hmm. was in all likelihood not going to get called away due to her cadet-ishness. That's true. That's true. But yeah, so that was... We'll see how Tilly progresses. Although she also did get to be, like, really smart in this episode as well. Well, she is really smart. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I can't, can you, I can't imagine 
Michael letting loose. No. I mean, I just, how many trips to the time loop did it take to just get her to dance? Yeah. Do you think that's just her personality, or do you think that's her Vulcanism? Um, bit of both. Bit of both, probably. Sort of a. I mean, if she was already at like an educational institute as a child, I have a feeling like she was gifted from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the Vulcan influence that made her, that pushed her to excellence. That's my take on it. So I could see where she would be like a more reserved, studious person by nature. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I bought that. I just thought, I didn't put it in the notes, we have mm-hmm. to discuss the space whale. Do we? I liked it. It was cute. I hope we didn't really get a wrap-up on its story. I hope it... I mean, he put a ship inside it. That's true. That's insane. I that hope it is... Lived- you hope it's fine? I hope it's good. They, I hope they got it to whatever animal preserve they wanted to get it to. I thought that was cute, too, how they... Well, maybe cute's not the correct word for it. But uh, how they addressed ecological issues on a galactic scale. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, yeah, there are these really rare creatures, and they are endangered because of these reasons. And they, you know, therefore, we sort of have this duty to transport it. Otherwise, we're going to be doing a breach of protocol. Mm-hmm. It's like, our bad luck. We found this whale. Now we have to go <laughs> deliver it somewhere. Though they didn't seem to be like in the middle of anything else. So, Anyways, I hope things turned mm-hmm. out well for the whale. I hope so, too. They may mention it in a future episode. Maybe. Maybe. And... Which reminds me of one of the other things I liked about this episode. Mm. Uh, well, a couple things. First, before the credits, the only thing they did was recap. There was no, like, intro scenes jumping around. It was just, like, to the point in the series where they were like, okay, well, let's, you know, get people prepared with, like, the highlights so far of, that are going to lead us up to this episode. There's no teaser? Uh, I honestly... What do you mean? That, that's what the bit before the opening credits is called, the teaser, I think. There was no new footage in the teaser. I have no memory of this whatsoever. Okay. It was it was just, like, you know, previously on Star Trek, and then they showed clips from, like, all the other shows of, you know, of oh, yeah, bringing yeah, yeah. mud in to let you know. And then it, after that, it was right to credits hmm. for the opening theme. So, I thought that was an interesting choice, and... Probably good for the point where we're at in the in the show. And then the other thing I liked was how they actually addressed that they are continuing to use Tomets to power the spore drive. Because in the last episode, that was kind of like, yeah, they used the spore drive. You reminded me. I'd totally forgotten. I hadn't caught it in the last episode at all that they used the spore drive to jump there. And in this episode... They address that they're continuing to use Stamets to interface with the engine and j- jump the ship, basically. Yeah. It was, it's good continuity. Yeah, I liked that they... I was good that they addressed that again, too. And mm-hmm. also, I liked that they sort of addressed what what's happening with Stamets um, without 
making it just about that one weird thing that they showed us. You know, they sort of showed mm-hmm. that it's having further reaching consequences that mm-hmm. he and we may not even know about. Yeah. Sort of opening it up to other potential episodes and stuff in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's making it so that when we see those potential episodes, nobody can be like, oh, but like he's been fine in like, you know, the three episodes between then and now. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's good that they're building continuity throughout the the show. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. And also, um, sort of an explanation for what was going on. Like, obviously we don't know what's happening with this whole mirror universe thing, but we now know why it's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not necessarily, like, it's not necessarily the mirror universe. Right. But it could just be that, like, because he exists outside time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That when he saw that in the mirror, it could have just been, like, a time echo of him. Not necessarily, like, an alternate universe that other people could travel to. I hear what you're saying, but, um... But you're like, no, no, Jen, it's a merry universe. Well, didn't just- didn't his reflection stay behind after he walked away and, like, have a different look on its face? Yes. So, I suspect it's a mirror universe. Okay. <laughs> or at least... Something is happening. Other Fine. than... If they... hmm? Let me just say, if they do a mirror universe, I hope it's handled as well as they handled the time loop episode that we just saw. Yes, me too. I'm trying to find who wrote this episode. Aaron, Eli, Colette, and Jesse Alexander. I have no idea who these people are. No, but I think I looked them up last night, and I think that they are other, like, they've done a lot of TV episodes, and I think that they both worked on Heroes, was the one that I'm familiar with. I wonder what's I didn't look up which Heroes. season it was or anything like that, but... Okay. Mm-hmm. I was just curious. Sorry, mm-hmm. carrying on. Time loop? Have we discussed the time loop? I think we've discussed the time loop. Although we could discuss it a little bit more. Well, we can we can skip that because it sort of goes into everything. Yeah, true. Yeah, I guess most of the stuff I have to say relates to the other things on the show notes here. So, yeah. We can move forward. Okay, so how did you feel about everything that happened between Tyler and Michael? Ash and Burnham? Whichever. I enjoyed it. I thought the actors did really well together. Mm-hmm. Like, they sold the chemistry aspect. It mm-hmm. didn't feel like uh, it was... I guess it didn't feel forced to me. Right. And one of the things I liked about it was how well it worked with this plot. Like, the A plot and the B plot in the ep- in this episode in general. Like, the A plot being, like, the time loop going back and doing the same thing over again and thwarting Mud's plan. And then the B loop being... Uh, Tyler and Burnham mm-hmm. they worked together so well because their relationship progressed because they kept going through the time loop together and redoing certain scenes yeah right like it wasn't like you know it was the span of you know a few hours for her to be like awkward 
you know, not a, not able to do small talk, and then up to, like, dancing and kissing. Mm-hmm. Like, she actually lived through a whole bunch of different scenarios to get her worked up to that. So I thought it worked really well, those two plots together. I also liked it, and I'm surprised that I liked it, because n- normally with anything like this... Like, like they've known each other for one episode, you know? And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. obviously in Showtime, they've known each other for longer. But mm-hmm. that doesn't matter when you're writing for an audience. Um, yeah. But I do also think that it worked really well, not only because they had all that time in the time loop to get past all their stuff, but because then at the end it was all reset and it was like it never happened, basically. Or like, yes. let, like most of it never happened. I do think they did make mm-hmm. some progress, obviously, mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. So I liked that because I do think, in terms of like good television show writing, it did happen too fast. But then yes. they were able to just yank it all out at the end, basically, yes. and it, and that didn't feel forced. The the reset, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure. And my one complaint about it, though, to do with the time loop in general, is that they explained why Stamets can sort of be experiencing the time loop because of his connection with the Spore Network and, you know, basically technobabble reason. But at least they addressed it. But it's I'm like, it, is he explaining this to her each time the loop goes? Because she seems to be getting, like, more and more on top of it. Is she having memory echoes That's what as I the thought. time loop goes on? That's what you thought? That she's, that, that's the feeling you know, that I got from it. That they were... okay. That she was, be, I guess, maybe because she was be, being made aware of it every single time. I don't right. know. I'm making that up. Um, because every single time, she did sort of seem to retain something, even if it was something that she wouldn't have been able to name or or speak to if it hadn't mm-hmm. been brought to the forefront by again Stamets telling her everything that had happened. Mm-hmm. In the Next Generation episode where they have a time loop, the one that I can remember, that's how the crew figures out what's going on is because they all start getting strange um, feelings of deja vu and like hearing things and they're mm-hmm. they're picking up on these echoes from having passed through the time loop multiple times. Okay. But like they didn't address it in this show. It was just kind of like, this is what we're kind of inferring happened, but... They never really said that, so that but would be I, my one. I thought the writing, like, the made writing it pretty it? clear. Yeah. Okay, that's why I wanted to like watch the show again, but I was only able to watch it very late last night, so I didn't. And then right. my life conspired against me to not let me watch it this morning. So it's unfortunate. Yes. Yes. The other thing that I thought was really enjoyable and, again, mm-hmm. worked so well because it was a time loop episode mm-hmm. was um, Mud, and spe- specifically, his all of his speeches and, like, all of his lines and stuff like that, he could, he could monologue. He could just tell them what was going to happen because he knew the time loop was going to reset. So it really yeah. worked for his, like, gloating, brash you know, going on and, you know, just telling them. And then he was like, this doesn't matter because I've told you this so many times before. And then time loop resets. 
Yeah, I did actually like his his line near the end about how he was almost sick and tired of gloating. Yeah, yeah. I felt uh, that so was that very just, good. It that just tickled me. If it had just been like an encounter with mud and there wasn't a time loop, but he had that gloating and that monologuing going on, I don't think I would have enjoyed the the episode nearly as much. But because it was like, oh yeah, he's resetting and everything, and then. In particular, when he's talking to Lorca and he's killing him, and he's like, do you know how many times I've killed you? I'm going to look forward to killing you and all that talk. And then they had that one scene where there's a, a montage of like all these different ways he's killed Lorca, and he's like, 53 times. <laughs> again, I just... He liked watching Lorca die over and over again. <laughs> it was so satisfying. <laughs> I was like, did they put... Because they know he's they're making him into like kind of a jerk. And I kind of felt like this was like good catharsis for the fans, right? Right. Like, you know, we can see him getting obliterated, getting beamed off the ship, getting, you know, like all these different things happening to him. All and the I things think that I you've even, dreamed of doing to him? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Sure. Yep. And um, it was just, yeah, I thought it was so funny. And really enjoyed that. And because it was a time loop, it it worked. It reminded me of playing a game with as a child where we would do, it was like, you know, I can't remember what it was called, but the basic idea was like we would all take turns like enacting like uh, a dramatic death. And then mm-hmm. it would, we'd always try and like outdo each other to see who could have like the best death scene. And, uh, it totally reminded me of that, that we're seeing him just die over and over and over again. You, you, so. As a child, you <laughs> acted out your own death over and over again? There was a group of us. So a group yes. of you acted out a mass suicide <laughs> over and over again? No, no, you would take turns. So, like, one person would, like, sit on a low tree branch and then, like, do, like, a dramatic over-the-top, like, death and, like, collapse and fall down and then the other person would next person would choose a different way to die and trying to outdo each other and be the best death interesting okay I didn't do this as a (laughs) child we pretended we were mermaids like (laughs) no not everyone played those games as children the best death game no I'm (laughs) sorry I do have a little bit of a dark twist in my personality. A slight dark Apparently. sense of humor. Okay. Um, anything else that you wanted to discuss about death? And how it <laughs> makes you laugh? Not about death, perhaps. But uh, this episode does point out the fallacy of Lorca keeping his like personal collection of death devices on the ship. Yeah, at least they're in the science bay room do one of the science yeah. labs labs sure and not like in his bedroom notably absent this episode i did not catch any sightings of the triple no neither did i i uh, we can discuss that later with the one way okay. yeah 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 i have to say i really the only to sort of talk back to it or whatever um about mm-hmm. the stuff with with Tyler and Michael. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I felt was a little out of place, mm-hmm. but also I kind of liked the scene. Um, but at the end, after everything, after everything was all set, when they were having their little moment in the elevator, yep. I, uh, considering that they have 
basically forgotten everything, even if they do sort of have some echo memories. That that bit felt a little a little forced to me, maybe. Yeah, that was probably the weakest of their scenes. Yeah. I mean, I liked that um, they had an ending scene to sort of wrap up their whole interactions, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's something about the way that that one was done, about and how he alluded to their their first kiss and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just didn't feel quite right. Yeah. Now, like in the episode, they tell us that they've had. Well, Tilly says that they've had two dates. And Michael clarifies that, like, no, 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 I helped them do, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember the engineering stuff they were doing. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, they had a meal together because they had just both ended their shift, right? Like, that was the two dates Mm -hmm. in Tilly's mind. And so maybe there's been, we're supposed to believe that there's been other flirtatious behavior, especially on, like, Tyler's end of things. Yeah, I can believe that. I can believe that a lot. Yeah. Now, I feel like most other shows would have tried to draw out the tension by having one of them sort of say something about how, like, we shouldn't mix business with pleasure or, like, that was just so that we could, you know, because of the situation or, you know, something to put the brakes on. Yeah. But they didn't. And I think that's what I'm reacting against is that... Where other TV shows would have had, like, here's where we have to have a misunderstanding to draw out their the tension between these two. They were just like, nope. Probably going to start dating. Well, to be fair, in this particular situation, and, uh, like, business and pleasure are their only options. True. Right? They Literally every single person on that ship is a co-worker. Yes. And in the start, in the larger Star Trek universe, well, like, obviously, like, Stamets and Dr. His name I can't remember, but Stamets and his partner mm-hmm. are together, and it's not, like, a secret. So at least it's not the sort of thing where, like, regulation states, you know, blah, 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 blah. Can you imagine if regulation did state that, though? Like, here, we're going to put 5,000 people on a ship together for months, but no one can sleep with anyone. Like, people would just quit. <laughs> Or be fired left, right, and center. <laughs> True. Especially because the ship is set up, like we've mentioned, as like your your living space. It's not like a tiny submarine that's out for months at a time and then back. Right? It's... People... spent. She spent seven years on the Shenzhou. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll see what they end up doing with it. I feel like we have to talk more about this in our sort of spoiler... Uh, zone. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So, let's talk a little bit about Stamets before we go there. Oh, okay. I thought we kind of covered it, but what have you got? Oh, okay. Oh, I was just seeing in your notes about everybody's favorite science man. I, I Oh, I guess and, uh, I did really like him in this episode. And I wanted to ask, um, mm-hmm. like, do because he seems different than he used to be. Yes. Like, pre-tardigrade meld, or whatever. Like, do you think it has had an extreme effect on his personality, or do you think they're just, now that we've gotten to know him, and by we, obviously, I mean Michael, so we're, we're seeing more of him and less, and that less definitely, standoffish. Yeah, that definitely could be part of it. 
part of it could be that in this episode, he is not, um, it's not dealing with war conflict. That's true. Right? So it's like, it's not triggering his defense mechanisms and his thing. It's like, this is a science problem. He is a scientist. So like, I think that's part of it. But I mean, they make comments on how his personality has changed since being injected with the DNA and connecting with the spores. At the beginning, the first time that they ran into him in the hallway, mm -hmm. was that before any loops had happened? We don't know if that was the first loop or not. Because I feel it's like... It's not definitive. Because that was when he, like, hugged Michael and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, and about, like, the God, beautiful... I wish, I, I wish I'd had time to rewatch that scene. Because that may have already been, like, several iterations into the time loop. Yeah, they edited the loop so oddly that, like, I liked how they did it, but so that we don't really know when they started. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you caught it, but, like, in the party scene, it only happened a couple times in the party moments, but when Michael first comes in, there's a power fluctuation, mm -hmm. and she's like, that shouldn't happen, They've, there's redundant power relays. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the time loop coming back in yeah which is what makes me think that that first scene that we see may not necessarily have been the first time loop that they went through i don't remember exactly what stamets said then that first time that they ran into each other because if he'd already looped a couple times man i wish i'd had time to rewatch that maybe yeah, once that, we're done recording that may be like why he was because he makes comments about like don't apologize for this wonderful blah 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 of human Contact. Right, so may maybe that was the second time and he had just seen them all blow up. That's right. Which would explain why he's a little more uh, affectionate. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But this I is, also think... Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, well, I was just going to say this is why I really liked how they told the time loop from somebody else's perspective so that we never really quite knew where we were. And mm -hmm. Yeah, anyways. I was going to say, the other thing that I think that we are seeing with Stamets is that, at heart, he is a romantic. Mm-hmm. Like, the part where he's teaching Michael to dance, and when the time loop reset, Stamets doesn't have to tell everyone what happened. But he does tell Ash and Burnham those parts that weren't necessarily necessary to tell. Right, yes. Because I think he wants them to get together, because he's a romantic at heart. And when he told the story of him and the doctor's, like, meet moment in the coffee shop. Mm hmm So I think we are just seeing a little bit more of his personality, and that he does just happen to be a romantic at heart. Which works with his quest for science, and his abhorrence of war machine and warmongering mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, so I liked seeing this, these different sides of him, and I'm intrigued to find out if it is just that we're having more of him revealed naturally through getting to know him, or mm -hmm. if there's been effects on him, personality-wise, mm -hmm. not just mm -hmm. dimensionally. Right. One last thing I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about Mud's end? How that was handled? Um, how they just contacted... I assume... Well, I assume that they had to do that for continuity. 
<laughs> but it, it felt very weird. Like, very just out of left field. And also, he could have used further punishment. Because this just means he's going to go off and do all those sexist things you've already told me about. Yes. And I mean, they had to make it so he gets there. Yeah, I guess. Um, Although, how, like, when you see him in, in the original series, does he seem to hate Starfleet? Because I feel like he would. He's certainly not friendly to them. Like, the very first episode he's in in the original series, mm-hmm. he's, like, I guess flying a, in a spaceship that hasn't got the right, like, transponder signatures broadcasting. And the Enterprise happens to come across him and hails him. And he starts running. Oh, okay. And I mean, partly because, you know, he's basically engaging in human trafficking. Um, but... He, I definitely, you definitely get the sense that he is not a fan of Starfleet. Okay, because but I mean, the- he lives outside mm-hmm. the law, right. completely. Like they, they make reference of him robbing a bank in this one as well. Yeah, but yeah, it's like they don't actually attempt to bring him to justice at all. They yeah. just leave him with his wife and her arms dealer father. Yeah, and then they're just like keep him away from us. Like, well, yeah. what, about, what about the people he ends up human trafficking later, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, he's gotten away yeah. from them before. Do you honestly think that he's not going to devise a scheme to get away from them again? Yeah. So I thought that kind of sucked. Yeah. And, too, like, they never tracked down... They kind of, again, techno-babbled through why he has time travel technology. And I'm like, you don't know where he got it from. He could get it again and like time loop and escape from so anyways I was just like that part didn't hold with the continuity of discovery but they were forced to do it sort of for continuity of the show overall I guess mm-hmm. so that part felt like a little bit of a letdown yeah agreed but I kind of I get that they kind of had to but I feel like they could have easily written in, like, Discovery believing that um, his father-in-law would punish him. And then Mm -hmm. it turning out that they're like, whatever, we don't care. Right. You know? He's actually a much more valuable business partner than a prisoner, so. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that would have been a very easy fix right there. Yes. Yeah. Um, Should we go on to my... uh, nitpicks and easter eggs sure thing okay so obviously the easter egg thing was referencing like mud again he was in the episode we actually saw his wife and so that was the big thing this episode though i think did a lot of like little star three star trek things well like it had several instances of techno babble where it's just like you know Sciencey, sciencey words, sciencey, sciencey explanations as they're solving the problem. Is, are you and, are you saying that techno babble in general is an Easter egg? Um, well, I wouldn't call it an Easter egg. I would just say it's, you know, it has that Star Trek feel to it. Okay, I gotcha. This was a very Star Trekky episode. I say as a yeah. non-Trekky person. 
yeah. Again, this one and last one felt the most sort of, I guess because they were kind of a little bit more episodic in nature. Yeah, I can see that. So, and I don't have any real big nitpicks, aside from the ones that I kind of already mentioned about, like, um, you know, Michael seeming to know more and more about the time loops as she goes, and, uh, you know, the end of Mud. Yeah. So, no real Star Trek-specific nitpicks, I guess. Again, with the Michael thing, though, I was just, I meant to, I don't know if I said this well earlier, but a lot of the times when shows do stuff like this and they do spell it all out for us, you kind of get that feeling like they think you're an idiot, you know, and they need to spell it all out for you. And I kind of liked that in this one, they're just like, everybody will get it. It's fine. We don't need to spell it out for them. True. If that is what they were going for. Yeah. And one of the things I have to say about the pacing and the feel of the show and why it, part of the reason it feels so different from the other Star Trek shows is because we live in a binge watch society now and mm-hmm. like an instant replay society. So they can be, they can shove more into an episode because fans can rewatch it right away, right then. Whereas yeah. like back in the day, like unless you were happened to be recording it on your VCR or something, you, you'd watch an episode and they'd have to give you time to follow everything. And so the pacing had to be that little bit more slow so that you could absorb all the information. Whereas now they can have dialogue happening very fast and lots of events in an episode. Because at the end of it, you're going to go, oh my god, that was so good. I have to watch it again and catch all the stuff again. I want to rewatch that. Mm-hmm. So. And th- and that's that's what they want you to. So that. Oh, exactly. So that they get more views and stuff. So yeah, that does make sense. Mm-hmm. It's taken me a little bit to get used to it because I haven't watched a lot of streaming shows. Ah. I have. Binged all of Stranger Things this weekend with the rest of the world. It was fabulous. So, any more nitpicks or... No, I think that was pretty much it. Like, again, I only had a chance to watch it through once. If I watch it through more, I might pick up on more that, you know, irritates me. But in general, I thought this was, again, like a really strong episode. And especially with like I mentioned before, how the time loop plot not only was like fun to watch and well done in itself, but it really helped the B plot line be more plausible. Mm-hmm. Worked really well together. Yeah, definitely. So. Good. All right, so now we're going to talk about everyone's favorite fan theory. That's right. So if you don't want to hear more about the fan theories, this is the time to stop listening. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can tweet at us at command of her own, or uh, you can email us. We have the Gmail address, a command of her own at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, how you're liking the episodes, questions you have, things you want us to talk about that maybe we didn't address. So for any of that, just get in touch with us and we would be happy to answer your questions or talk more about certain things. And now into the fan theory. So I just want to come out and say that if Ash, Tyler, whatever, is Valk, I think that this episode lends very well to my theory about him being instrumental in bringing out the peaceful end of the, of the war. 
That is true. It does work well if you think that this is going to help end the war and help bridge ties and things like that. Now, obviously, if he is Vok, he must be, like, completely mind-wiped. Or, like, like a sleeper. Like an actual. Like, he doesn't know he's Vok. Yes. Yeah, I was gonna say, I totally cannot see this happening unless he's a sleeper and, and not aware that he's Vok right now and is gonna be, like, activated later. Or, you know, perhaps he's, like, a different Klingon agent. Or something else, but... I don't think they would do a different Klingon. Like, if this theory does pan out, it would be Vok. True. I mean, there's enough of the stuff behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, at this point, why would Star Trek not give us an actual photo of the other actor? Yeah. Right? I, I mean, I think there might think be it's... one. Sorry? I, like, I think I might have seen one on the fan board, but I don't know if that was, like, an actual picture of an actor, or someone was just doing that to be a bit of a troll. Right. Uh, but I haven't seen anything official coming from Star Trek, or any of the actors, or anything like that, so... Like, at this point, we know that they at least want us to think it's him. Otherwise, they would have come out and said. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't want to kill the theory. Yes. And, man, if it's not that, the actor who does play Valk if they aren't the same person, must have been mm. either been super paid off or signed the most binding contract of all time <laughs> to be still staying quiet. Yeah. And I still think it might have been that they just used the same actor and then for some strange reason didn't cop to it. Because they maybe they didn't want to start like crazy theories, so they just didn't... They're like, no, no, we'll just use his alternate name when he's Vok. And then see if the fans figure it out that the same actor is playing both people. And we don't want to tell them that up front because we don't want them to start theorizing that, you know, there's stuff going on. But then, of course, you know, people do anyways. I feel like you really want this to not happen. I know. (laughs) I tend to do this. I tend to be very good at, like, coming up with theories why this can't be... (laughs) like, Which is, is fine if you don't want it to happen. I just think... Everything really points to it happening. I know. Especially just just the fact that the actor, if it is a different person, has not come forward is insanity. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, um, but then I'm thinking like, okay, so he's Vok. He's a sleeper agent. He and Michael start a relationship. And then, like, what ends up happening? It's going to be heartbreaking and wonderful. Is he just, is he going to be revealed? Is he going to go off? Are they going to rescue the real Ash Tyler, who's in a Klingon prison somewhere? Like, what's, ah, uh, that just seems so. <sighs> and he's going to be a completely different person, and Michael's going to be completely heartbroken, and it's going to be fabulous. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be fabulous. <laughs> oh. Why can't they just be like. You know, happily exploring a relationship together. Because television people mm. don't know how to write that in an interesting way. That's true. And that may be why they're, like, accelerating, like, this plot may work into that. Because it's like, okay, we have to get them involved sooner so that it is heartbreaking. It, yeah. So this time loop episode really works for it. And then they left it at the, not at the, there's going to be a conflict right now. 
It's just like, okay, we're going to start, you know, I know you're interested, you know I'm interested, yep. Naturally, things will now happen to progress it so that when this other problem comes up, that's the conflict for their relationship. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. They've set the now, groundwork you- for some good television, is what I'm saying. Okay. Well, some good, like, romantic television. Which right, is not necessarily what Star Trek is about. And I suppose it's not necessarily your thing. But I enjoy it. Well, I do enjoy it, but it's not necessarily what I come to Star Trek for. Oh, that's fair. Do we think Lorca suspects Tyler is Vok? I, don't I can't know. remember if we talked about this in the last show, so I'm gr- we're going to talk about it again. I think we did, but I honestly don't remember what we landed on. And honestly, I don't know. Because he plays things so close to the chest, you know? I, I feel like mm-hmm. he could, and I would believe it. And if-, if he didn't, I would believe that too. Yeah. I was actually... One of the surprising things with the time loop was that Lorca was seeming to go along with it. I mean, who knows how many times they had to explain it to him. But like, could you imagine them coming onto the ch- onto the bridge and being like, Captain, we need to rewire your chair. Just trust us. I actually I actually find that very plausible. Because uh, um, Lorca... I don't know if trust his crew is quite what I'm going for, but seems willing to... Like, they're on a science ship. Well, you know what I mean? He seems willing to yeah. accept the crazy science-y things. And that is true. And he did go f- to get Cyrek because of Burnham. Yeah. Right? Like, it was for his crewmate member that he did that. And he doesn't want his ship to get destroyed and have his crew lost again. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I, I guess I can see that a bit. And he may have been having, like, those echo memories, too, of the 53 times that he died. True. Right? And if, true. if his head sciencey dude who came up with his, you know, the reason the ship is his favorite toy and, mm. you know, his, his pet... Um, and is winning the war effort for them. Yeah. And his his his, his pet mutineer and mm. his, his, his new pet... <laughs> his uh, new favorite gun range buddy. Yeah, there we go. Um, mm. I was going to say his pet security guy. You know, like they're ba- these that three are basically died. his projects coming <laughs> yes. in and saying, "We have figured it all out. Let us do this thing." He'd be like, "Well, sure. I guess I biggest hypocrite ever if I don't listen to you three. All we're doing is transporting a whale right now, so I guess we can. Yeah, there's that too. Maybe he was just bored. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know why I pointed out that there's no tribble in this episode? Um, according to a lot of the things that have come up on the internet, Tribbles don't like Klingons. Correct. And, uh, they have had an undercover Klingon officer in the original series, and he was outed by Klingon, or by Tribbles. Yeah. So, they were the greatest foe of the Klingon Empire. The Tribbles. Apparently. Yeah, I know. Now, the question is, did they do that on purpose? Like, or did... I know, that's what I'm wondering. I was like, was that just because they happened to not put the prop out? Or were they, like, purposely, consciously making that choice for continuity because he's the Klingon and they can't have the Klingon in the same room with the Tribble? Because if this is just a big misleading thing, they've done a really Mm -hmm. good job with it. 
True. Yes. Like, if it turns out that they're not the same person at all. Although, if it turns out that they're not the same person at all, Ash is suddenly a much less interesting character. Yeah, and the other thing I'm really surprised that they haven't done much with Ash yet is that he doesn't seem traumatized. Somebody did briefly mention that in this episode, but Mm -hmm. yeah, that should come up more, that everybody is just like, he's so well-adjusted after seven months in prison. Maybe this is a bit of a tip-off. Or maybe they'll address it in another episode. Like, maybe he's got some, like counseling sessions he's doing remotely with someone or like maybe there's things that he's processing because like people can present a good public yeah face in like so it could just be that like he's repressing it it could be he's dealing with it and we just don't see it like there could there's possible explanations but i just yeah it seems like he's freed from prison and now he's good now and they probably have like a counselor on board. I'm trying to remember if that was part of the original series, if they had someone, or if that was a role played by the doctor, or what happened. I mean, mental health was definitely not something that was addressed very well in the 60s. Right. Um, so, like, in The Next Generation, like, they had Counselor Troy who kind of sometimes got to address things like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe they will have an episode with, uh, you know, the doctor talking to Tyler. Or something, yeah. Something. Oh, you know, on a completely aside here, um, once mm-hmm. again about Tyler and Michael, I just wanted to say that I like, um, you don't see the, the multiculturalism, I suppose, of their relationship. Like, um... That often it's a non-issue. Yeah, and, yeah. It, and it is a non-issue. And I like yeah. that, like, their particular pairing, like, she's a black lady and he's from the East? I have no idea where he's from. Oh, God. I'm going to look that up. A black woman and a man of Pakistani descent, which you don't mm-hmm. see that often. Or possibly at all in American television. I can't think of one at any rate, not that I'm an expert. So I just mm-hmm. liked that, you know, that's that, and it's, as you said, a non-issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I like how, like, it's going with the theme, because, like, again, Stamets and the Doctor, it's a non-issue. Which I feel like is a step forward in media representation in general. Especially in Star Trek. I mean, I'm, I think other shows have shown multicultural couples and same-sex couples and things like that. Now I'd really like them to have somebody who's, um, I'm sorry, the English language escaped me, um, who's bi, and that's a non-issue, and everybody's cool with it. Oh, that would be so nice. That would be so good. I don't think I've seen or heard of anything that's got really good bi representation. I don't think I have either. If you have, if anybody out there is listening and you have a show that's got really good representation like that, please let us know. I mean, probably Sense8. Sense8 has everything. I haven't watched it Oh, yet, that's true. But I haven't watched it yet either. That's the only thing that's jumping to mind. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the best person to ask because I watch so little television. So I'm not very tuned into the, the current 
goings on, but yeah, it would be nice to see even more diversity. Yes, yes, it would. All right. Shall we wrap things up? Well, where did you come on my fortune cookie question? Oh, I'm with you. I think that if the there's no fortune in the cookie, it's just a cookie. I haven't actually given you my opinion yet. I oh, just no? asked the question. Mm-hmm. You just asked the question. I did. Oh, I thought somebody somebody so, did tweet though that my uh, my, that my friend Amy did tweet us okay. that okay. she is fully on board with it just being a cookie if there's no fortune. Mm-hmm. And um, just before we started recording, I asked if anybody had any other opinions. And our friend, uh, Gypsy Book Nerd, mm-hmm. is of the opposite opinion and says that the fortune is the purpose of the cookie and it still has purpose even when the fortune isn't present. Mm. Now, my. What does that say about your fortune if you get a fortune cookie See, with no fortune? See, this is what I'm saying. <gasps> I think it is still a fortune cookie because let's, let's put this in perspective here. You get some good Chinese takeout with your family or, your, or a group of friends. Everybody's opening their cookie at the end. Everybody gets a fun fortune and a joke, and you get nothing. That is a mm. fortune. You get no lotto numbers? Get nothing. Oh, yeah. That, that. Well, I guess they're lucky numbers. or Yeah, that could be something. You, you could have a point there. Okay, I just wanted to say that um, uh, your friend, Matthew, tweeted, um, <laughs> for context, Matthew is from the United Kingdom, um, yeah. and said, over here, we call them fortune biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> Which, That's it, awesome. It's a joke. Tw- but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he tweeted some other fake facts, too, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that not- they were invented by Simon <laughs> Fortune, so they were always fortune cookies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to edit out that cough. Oh, well. Carry on. That's okay. Yes, Kate's still sick. Send her... Send her good tea gifts. <laughs> tea gifts. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, are we ready to hear this week's fortune cookie that I... Yes, absolutely. Yesterday? Okay. So, this week's fortune cookie is... Financial security is just around the corner. Oh. Space. <laughs> mud, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured that one was a gimme for mud. That's literally what this episode is about. He, yeah, yeah. He can't, he just can't quite reach that corner. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, he's in space. Space doesn't really have angles. That's so. fair. That's fair. And the ship is kind of round mostly, so. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Um, did anyone else have a fortune cookie this week? If you did, and you want to share a fortune with us, feel free to send us a on Twitter or to our Gmail. Now, Kate, do you have any recommendations this week? Um, you know, I didn't usually prepare something. I thought you did, because you put it in the show notes. I know, I, but well, it's just a thing that we do, but I usually... You know what? Okay. I have, like, a non-recommendation. Um, if, if you... No, I don't even know how to word that so that it doesn't... Nope, I got nothing. Um, I recommend pumpkin pie. Ooh, I can't really go wrong with pumpkin pie. I I had a homemade one this weekend mm. that I made and it was amazing. Oh, it was the same one that we talked about before, for, about when we were talking about Thanksgiving. Okay. It was great. And then I teased my mother about it. It was fabulous. 
You teased your mother about pumpkin pie? Because she was telling me how much she loved the pumpkin pie that I'd made for Thanksgiving, and then I was like, so, we ate it again. You weren't there. (laughs) Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, so this week, I will recommend a game for the iPhone called Neko Atsume. Oh, okay, yeah. Everybody I'm getting a moment of really big deja vu here. But anyways. Um, yeah, so it's a cat collecting game. It's very simple to play. It's very fast. You basically have like a little house that you can see. And there's a spot to put out cat food. And then when stray cats come, they leave you fish. And then you can use the fish to buy them cat toys and better cat food. And you can remodel, and all these different cats come, and the cats have names, and some of the cats bring you gifts, and then when you get certain cat toys, specialty cats come. And I am currently trying to lure a couple specialty cats to my yard, because they let you take pictures of them, and then you get a little cat book that you can flip through and look at all the pictures of these adorable virtual cats. You're making me want to put it back on my phone. I know. I, I got all the cats, another... and I deleted it, and now it's no longer taking up my life. Did you get all the cats? Well, I got all the cats before, like, an update, you know what I mean? Because every time it would mm-hmm. update, it'd be like, oh, there's more cats, damn it! <laughs> so I got them all, and deleted it, and I was done. And then I just didn't look at any of the updates. Okay, well, you don't have to come back to it, Kate. That's okay. You can be finish the game. That's fine. But I, I mentioned it somewhere else online and a whole bunch of people hadn't heard of it. And they were like, virtual cats! And this is probably as close as I'm ever going to get to having a cat as a pet, so. Yeah. Probably ditto. Yeah. Right, I guess that is everything. Yeah, I think so. Alright, well, thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have questions or comments you would like to share or other things that you would like us to talk about related to Star Trek Discovery, you can contact us at acommandofherown at gmail.com or on Twitter at commandofherown. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye. I think that was our best sign-off yet. I know, that was like the least awkward bye we've had. Can you hear that dog barking? No. Fabulous. Fuck that dog, I want it dead. Anyways, sorry. (laughs) It never shuts up, it just doesn't- they just leave it out in their backyard and if, like, oh. a wind blows strongly past it, it goes. It goes for, like, 20 right. minutes. Gotcha. I just love how I have a dark personality for playing death games, but Kate wants a dog dead and it's fine. Well, I'm going to cut out my thing. <laughs> Prerogative of the editor. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>